What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to the Changing Man podcast. Um, again, I just wanted to say that we are on Apple Podcasts now and Spotify, as well as all the other podcasting platforms like Downcast, Stitcher, Breaker, all those big ones. Um, I want to remind you guys now we're putting episodes out every Wednesday. So every Wednesday, we'll have a new episode moving to a uh, weekly schedule now that we've kind of figured it out and kind of figured out what I want to do with it. So please be sure to subscribe and follow on those platforms and look for new episodes every Wednesday. And thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. This is the Changing Man Podcast, episode 16. Um, very happy to be back. Very happy to be back. Um, if you're a new listener, make sure you please subscribe. I know I have a whole promo dedicated to all this, but please make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Downcast, Stitcher, any of those major platforms. We do have a Patreon as well that I am uh, attempting to get up and running. And it's uh, it's all a building process. But again, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. It is September 26th, 2018. Took a two-week hiatus. Um, Some very serious things had happened. Some big life events that I will uh, get into in a little bit later. Uh, Moved to a new city. no longer in Richmond, uh, living with my father now just outside of Richmond and, uh, took me a little bit to get settled in here. Uh, I had to transfer schools and, uh, get a new job, which I had an in- interview for today, um, to which I got, I got the job. So that's good. And, um, everything is slowly, but surely falling into place. And, uh, I wanted to, I want to talk about what has gone on recently with me because I think it's something that needs to be spoken about. Um, I wanted to talk about how we tolerate certain people in our lives, how we can cope, manage other people's feelings while keeping in accordance with our own standards and morals as we kind of navigate you know, through life and and new beginnings, especially. Um, by now I don't, I don't think it's any secret that, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic myself and, uh, have finally managed at 27 years of age to, to turn my life around. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I've, I've got nine months of sobriety now and, uh, it's a big accomplishment for me. I became an honorable student over the summer, took five classes and uh, maintained A's and B's, uh, which is the first time I had ever done that uh, intentionally. And um, things appeared to go well. I'm managing some damaged family relationships and, and trying to mend those, those ones that 
needed mending and um, also realizing that some people are even part of your family are enablers and can make make your scenario worse um, and people will always try to bring you down as to what happened the weekend of September 9th in Richmond Virginia uh, there were five heroin overdoses and uh, of those five in three days uh, one of them was my uncle who I was living with this uh, to the people that have been affected by drug use or are recovering drug users or alcoholics alike. Um, you almost feel dis- desensitized to it when you hear about it, because it seems an o- like an obvious thing that is bound to happen when you um, mess with these things. And, uh, you know, my uncle, 39 years old, maintained a a six-figure salary, had worked 19 years at the same company. And um, this is something I never saw coming at all. This is something I I never imagined, something I had no clue about. And as someone getting my own life together, Um, And he being a part of my support system, you know, when we would talk and uh, reminisce on things, he would, you know, he he would say that he was all right and that he was doing well. And this is not someone with a history of use and um, being someone who's not necessarily being selfish, but working on myself. You know, I I took his word for it and uh, I don't I don't blame myself for his death. I wasn't at the house at the time when it happened, I was working my night shift at uh, the gym and I came home to my house surrounded by police officers uh, and heard the news first, uh, which prompted my uh, change of scenery, my move out of, uh, out of Richmond into the, the Newport area. Um, when, when you hear about this stuff, it's a, uh, it's a shock. It's a blow to everything you feel like you're doing and you may not necessarily blame yourself, but you do wonder what you could have done or what you had noticed or things you maybe should have noticed. And, uh, looking back, there were definitely some things I had noticed and uh, but nothing that seemed out of the ordinary. My uncle was very keep to himself. Um, and while he maintained a, a very nice job, he was very humble. Never really spent his money uh, except on things like technology, Xbox, TVs. Uh, he's total techie, worked in IT. Um, and it got me kind of thinking, you know, it, throughout my recovery process and, and hearing other people talk about their recovery process and, and, you know, in my time of going to meetings and everything else, um, people talk very candidly about the effects and damages that heroin can have. And they call it the king of drugs for a reason, because it's one of those drugs. It's not like weed 
or I mean, alcohol even, um, if you do it long enough, uh, which is not that long, it will, it will kill you. It will take your life. And, um, apparently there was a batch going around the city that, um, had fentanyl in it, which is a medical grade painkiller. And one dosed improperly can take you in an instant. Um, and in, in the environment that he was in, in the scenario he was in with the person he was with, the person he was with was scared and did not call the police right away for fear of being locked up herself. Uh, although that in Virginia, there is an amnesty rule for calling on an overdose, uh, which she did not know about. And um, it's while I had closure with the funeral and when I think about these things and the life he's left and now, you know, my mother lost a brother. uh, I've lost a, a best friend and a father figure someone who I really looked up to and who was very attached to, uh, in my 27 years of age, I can firmly say that I spent a lot of my childhood with him. And, um, this is just not something I would have ever seen coming. And, um, my family was very adamant about not exactly saying the reason behind what happened. And, um, those in recovery and and those who maybe have dealt with drugs or have dealt with the loss in the family due to drugs can tell you that not talking about it is the exact opposite of what should happen. And there's a lot that needs to be said because it's, it's knowledge. And, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's crazy because drugs will warp the mind and make you think that it's going to happen to everyone else except for you. And um, I'm sure that's the mentality that my uncle had going into this time. Um, And while learning about this accident, I can't firmly say what his history of use was or how frequent it was. Didn't seem to me to be a, a habit of any kind. I, I, I can, but I can't a hundred percent say for certain. And, um, the strongest people can fall victim to it, uh, can fall victim to, to drugs, to, you know, and, um, what happens is, is while they may be no longer in pain or, um, and, and, and at a better place, you, the family becomes the victims of the lifestyle that came with that, the people they associated with, uh, basically the criminals that come with hard drug use, um, you know, junkies, um, now that it, that roam around afterwards, uh, or that may be coming back to the house after they learn of the death, you know, it just, there's a lot of big things you have to deal with. It's not just getting a death certificate and getting him buried, you know, an untimely death like this 
requires so much more due diligence and, um, you know, instead of it being, uh, his daughter that deals with it, it's now his parents, my grandparents that are making the arrangements, canceling subscriptions, getting the house sold. And they now have a daily reminder with every chore and every errand and every interaction regarding his death um, that hinders their mourning process. Um, And no one should have to bury their, their child, their son. And um, this mourning process is only made worse because of that lifestyle uh, that, that came with it. The people they associated with the, woman that was present at the time of the overdose. Um, There's a lot of unanswered questions, lots of unanswered questions, lots of pain to deal with. Um, Two weeks have gone by and I, uh, while I've found some closure and I'm working to talk about these things and make sure that I can um, be open with my emotions and, and lean on my family. I, I, I think in all of these situations, you just want to be strong for everybody else. And that makes the most sense. You want to, you want to protect those around you in a time where you feel like you couldn't protect the victim. And that's a, from what I've read is a, is a common response in grief. Um, and it's a masking technique. And, um, I definitely think a lot of people want to keep themselves busy. They want to keep themselves distracted and they want to not really ever truly deal with those emotions that come with, with this type of tragedy. And I did the, the exact same thing. I, uh, distracted myself. I made sure I was just focusing on moving, finding a new job, uh, getting into school. And I rode that, momentum of, of shock and disbelief before I truly had a breakdown. And when I finally had my breakdown, I felt a lot more comfortable in dealing with uh, the mourning process. And in this process, you, you learn about those around you, not just the victim, the deceased, you learn about those who support you, about those who claim to be there for you. And, um, and what you, what you find you may, may not like, um, with the difficulty of moving to a new place, trying to set roots into a new area, you need a solid family support. And it's, it's very common for one to isolate out of grief and it's very common for one to even lash out. But there are people that are going to be detrimental to your grieving and mourning process. And sometimes those people may be close friends, distant friends, close family or distant family. Uh, what if that person happens to be your mom or your dad, a grandparent? a brother, a sister, people that would 
like to lash out at you because you may be the easiest target. You may be an emotional punching bag for that person. And um, I think it's important to take a step back and not stoop to the level of those who are going to lash out. And I found myself reflecting more, attempting to keep my conscious contact with God. And uh, I won't get too spiritual on it, but you know, in, in times of grief, one can feel like you have nothing. And luckily for me, I felt like I did have some spirituality and some faith to lean on as well as my family, but it makes you question everyone around you. It makes you question who's really there for you, who believes in you. Um, and that's what today's episode is, is really about. Uh, not just the uh, tragedy recently in my life. Um, while I did want to talk about it, I wanted to talk more about how do you, I just wanted to speak freely really on how do you separate those relationships that may not be good for you, even if they are close relatives, friends, or family. And unfortunately it happened to me where the person close to me that wanted to lash out, uh, was a parent or is a parent. (laughs) And, um, someone that is hard to push away. And you know, this could be a this could be a significant other or even an ex significant other that you've maintained relationships with. You the person who you least expect to hurt you can turn around and and still do it to you. And when you're going through a major mourning process or a major change, whether it's a new move, whether you're dealing with a tragedy at all, it's important to feel like you have that support. And when you don't, of course it's, it's natural for everybody to want to speak their mind, combat what's being said and, and fight for that attention, fight for the attention, fight for the support and fight for the love from that person. And this may sound cliche, but sometimes, sometimes that love might not be worth fighting for. You have to keep people at arm's length and you have to understand that people are going to be evil with or without you being affected by their behavior. It is up to you, the person going through the changes to not let yourself be brought down or be a victim, but to be the bigger person and understand that the person lashing out at you may be hurting even more. Now, I don't mean you should stop your mourning process, ignore or ignore what they're saying to you in lieu of being supportive of them. Don't be, I'm not saying at all that you should be a welcome mat to their emotions or an emotional punching bag. It's hard to walk away. I understand that it's hard to walk away from someone who is important to you in order to, in order to move yourself forward. 
because you want, you want the people close to you to see you succeed or to see you progress, especially in a time of great vulnerability where you feel like you have nothing, where you've lost everything, not at the hands of yourself. And unfortunately, being in recovery, I'm used to losing everything from my own actions. And I feel guilty for feeling bad. And I think a lot of people who are in recovery, addicts themselves, especially if they're clean, have a hard time with accepting the fact that something isn't their fault for once. And I just prayed. Maintained my conscious contact and repeated to myself that Everything happens for a reason, and as cliche as that sounds, we have to reflect knowing that there was nothing you could do about it. There's always going to be a thousand what-ifs, but there's only one what-did-I-do. When you look back in the past and you think about what you did, there's only ever one outcome because you can't change it. And in moving forward, you can make those decisions or receive that guidance that helps guide your path to where you want it to be. And sometimes that harder decision, that hard gut decision is usually the right one. And when it comes to a family member, it's even more difficult. It's hard to separate. It's hard to separate walking away from being defeated. It's hard to accept not taking the pain or the guilt in exchange for taking some accountability for yourself, making yourself better. It's not selfish. It's not self-serving. It's knowing when someone is bringing you down and attempting to enable poor behavior. What do you do when this person will never understand how many knockdown drag out arguments do you need to get into? How many times do you need to be the victim of, of blame? Um, even when you feel like you are doing everything in your power to, to move forward. You can't, you can't accept everything at face value sometimes. A lot of the times things just are what they are. And uh, when it comes to a, a family member or a significant other or someone believes that they can hurt you the way that they do, <laughs> sometimes it is what it is. I'm not saying you need to cut these people off completely. But taking the active steps to take care of yourself over, over indulging poor behavior or letting yourself be the victim of, of hate or blame or be that emotional punching bag is, is, is not what you do. Especially in the wake of a family member's death where everybody is mourning. Um, my, my mother found this difficult to do. She found it difficult to not place blame. Um, and she lashed out and she said some things that were extremely hurtful, extremely false. And, um, 
we've all had these experiences in life where you may love someone to death and they may just might be an absolute detriment to your well-being. And at what point do you stand up for yourself? And at what point do you just walk away? I think everybody at first wants to stand up for themselves. They want to go, no, you're wrong. That's not what happened. You know, that's not what happened. And why would you say this and everything else? And sometimes it's going to fall on deaf ears because that person is so blinded by anger, especially when you may be dealing with someone who maybe uh, may be having some substance issues of their own. Um, we have, we have parents of kids that are heavy drinkers, users, everything else. And, um, a death like this causes those people and even people in recovery to reflect on their actions of the past. And it can bring on a wave of guilt to those who may know they have a problem, but have not stopped. And, um, having had dealt with this experience of losing a close one, someone very close to me, um, not necessarily to drugs, but to suicide where I was the, the first person to find out I, I was, um, I was unprepared to deal with that. And I put my emotions to the bottle and Mr. Jack Daniels was, uh, my, my biggest and best and most trusted therapist. And it did not help me grief. It did grieve. It did not help me move forward. It, um, enabled the people around me to that were still in a bad spot to tell me that it was okay to be doing what I was doing. And, um, for those people that are in recovery and then having to deal with this situation as a sober person, you have to have the clarity to not only not relapse, but to maintain that conscious contact with whatever power that might be. Uh, that you believe in, whatever support system you do have, and just know that people are going to be hurting. And um, in your ability to be able to process your emotions better than the people that are, are using or hurting around you, you're going to be the target. You're going to be the target of those emotions. Uh, which unfortunately was the case for me in this situation. In summation, I think the biggest reminder, the biggest piece of advice I can give when it comes to something like this, I'll make this a shorter show because this is, this is pretty freehanded. I didn't want to really write anything for this or do any notes. I really just wanted to get my thoughts out on this is that it, there, there is support. There's support out there. There, if you, when you do inevitably have to cut off someone who may be damaging you it's it's it shouldn't be in the plan to run to everybody and tell them how that person has hurt you it it should be in the plan to just seek support uh discuss discuss what's happening but think of it in a way of how can i just keep moving forward as opposed to just trying to demonize the person who's hurting you it's very easy to just go to someone else, you know, and, and, and really demonize the person who's hurting you or abusing you. And, and that can make you feel better, like temporarily, very temporarily that can make you feel better about your scenario. And, um, but eventually you'll feel like you're just still angry. You'll feel just angry 
and upset uh, and you'll still have no closure from it all. Um, keep, keep, keep those close to you that are going to tell you the, the things that you might not want to hear. Um, when, when something like this happens or you lose someone close to you, the first thing, the first thing you probably don't want to hear is make sure you're okay. Um, or don't do this or, uh, make sure you contact me, keep me close by, or some, some family and friends may blow your phone up. They may completely call, they may call you every day, every two hours, every four hours, texting you all the time. Are you all right? Are you okay? And that's going to be annoying, especially when you're so attached or close, or you lived with the person that may have passed, or you had a strong connection with the person that may have passed, like a, you know, a parent or a brother, sibling. You're not going to want to hear it in that moment. But after you've had your breakdown, you've had some closure, you have regained your clarity of thought, uh, you are going to be much more appreciative of that person in your life. And you will understand the reasons why you may have to push away the toxic people in your life. Um, and when you, and, and when you finally gain that, that solid support, like I've gained with, uh, my dad out here, uh, and his wife and, um, you know, and, and their kids. So my, 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 uh, siblings, you start to see what normal can feel like and what normal can look like. And you can start finding those roots again. You can be happy again. Um, the biggest thing, and I know I sound like a broken record is just don't give up. Uh, like a lot of people I, I isolated, I sat, you know, even after the, the funeral, I sat in my room, you know, and just, farted around on my phone for basically 48 hours. I'd go to the gym, I'd come home and I'd go into my room and I'd sleep all day. And, uh, my stepmother, God bless her, would just come in and ask me random questions. What type of music do you listen to? Hey, will you see if this looks good? I'm hanging these mirrors up. And (laughs) she's probably not interested in the music I listen to. Or she probably doesn't even really want to have my opinion on her mirrors that she's hanging up. But she's supporting me. She's trying to get me out of the space I'm in. And um, it becomes abundantly clear. Uh, And who's got your back? My best friends back home, Scott, Chris, both guests of the show previously and just great, great friends of mine have uh, been nothing but supportive. And everybody has that small circle of people that are nothing but supportive that want to see you succeed, that want to see you drive on, that want to see you push and get through this tough time. Um, I know this show has spoken, especially in this episode, has spoken a lot to the person in recovery. But when tragedy like this happens, the sick mind can use it as an excuse to give up. When you are doing everything you feel like you... uh, when you were doing everything you feel is the right thing to do or making the moves forward the best way you can, it can feel like a very easy task to just stop and go, what is the point of all of this? 
to give up, to not want to make these positive changes in your life, but to maybe just accept the fact that you can't do anything despite being, despite being better, despite it not being your fault, uprooting your entire life in some cases, changing schools in another, uh, maybe having to leave your job or having your just living situation change. It's very easy to just say, you know what? Fuck it. And pick up Mr. Jack Daniels again. And I had the thought. I had the thought briefly. There were so many times where I was getting ready to pull the trigger on it. And then my dad would call me or he would text me. Hey, hope you're doing good. Are you okay? Are you safe? And I would go deep exhale. Text back. Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to the Changing Man podcast. Normal content to resume every Wednesday. Um, as we go through this time, I'll be uh, <laughs> be coming back and uh, f- refocusing on the show content. I've got another show in the wings that I'm going to release alongside of this one. It's a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more raw. <laughs> Um, it was with Scott and, uh, I'll be going back to the normal show format and content. I want to thank all of my friends for their support, all my family for their support, the outcry of support I've gotten from total strangers in this time, uh, via my Instagram, uh, that's at Embry F O E M B R E Y F O follow us on anchor.com anchor.com slash the changing man. Um, also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the changing man subscribe for bonus content that I'll be releasing and make sure you tune in every Wednesday for new episodes and make sure you follow that Instagram to get updates on live shows that I stream through YouTube. Uh, thank you guys, everyone again for listening again. This has been the changing man episode 16 and I hope everybody has a great morning, afternoon and evening and God bless.